0: Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What is truth? Christianity or the gospel is not an attempt to tell you what is the truth. Christianity and the gospel ask you what is the truth. When Pilate asked him, are you the king? Jesus said, what do you say? Jesus asked Peter, what do you say that I am? Peter says, well, they say that you are the Messiah. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, what do you say? So our confession of who Jesus is, is the truth. That is what truth is, is our confession. What do you say? Who is Jesus to you? Not who I say Jesus is to you, but who do you say Jesus is? That is the truth. Could God just forgive Adam when he sinned? Could you just say, let's just forget it. Let's just forget the fact you ate from the forbidden tree. Couldn't God just say, let's just forget all that, I forgive you, life goes on. Could He do that? Someone you know, and say terrible, evil, nasty things about you. And all along people think that you are this bad person. But being a very generous person, you say, I forgive that person. Case closed. Is it? Everyone else still, have an impression and still believe that you are this nasty, bad person. So even though you say it doesn't matter to you, the truth is not out there. So even though you can say, I forgive this person, but the truth is that all the lies are still out there. This person has to make what's called satisfaction This is the truth by reconciling the truth and saying all those things I said about this person were lies. And so when that happens, the truth is restored. Now, that is righteousness. So God could not just forgive Adam. The truth is distorted. And God is the truth. And therefore, Adam sin could not just go away. There has to be a restoration of God's honor. God could not just forgive Adam. His honor has to be restored as well. Mercy and truth. God is both mercy and he is also the truth. To disregard one divine attribute, to say he's all mercy, let's forget about the truth, then we have taken away from God. And you can't take away from God, because if you can take away from God, then God is imperfect. And if God is imperfect, he isn't God. God is perfect, and therefore you cannot take truth away from God. You cannot just say, let's just have mercy without truth. Because what is mercy without truth? Jesus says, even sinners love themselves. Without the truth, there is no justice. Truth is indispensable. You cannot disregard the truth. Everything God say is the truth. The truth cannot be tossed out. Just because God is merciful, then truth has no value if you can just toss out the truth and say it doesn't matter. Truth matters. And therefore God can't just toss out the truth and say it's not matter. The Creator God is the source of all things. He is the truth and the truth is indispensable. So when God say, you shall not eat of this tree, Once you eat of it, you shall die. Adam ate of the tree, and nothing happened. Then what he said was a a lie. You see, God is not like all parents. Parents, we need to elevate our what we say and what we do to the level of the biblical teaching. When you say something happens, something should happen, and it doesn't happen, and you let that go, that is not mercy, that's not love. That is disregard for the truth. So when you say something, if it is the truth, then it has to be upheld. Otherwise, it becomes a lie. So when God say, you should not eat of the tree, he ate the tree, nothing happened, then God had lied. But he didn't. So Adam had to be punished. There has to be the consequence of breaking God's law. Sinners are those who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who knowingly the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. God's law and God's commands are out there to tell you this is the truth, the violation of this truth, there is a consequence, and that consequence is death. And when God says that, and God is the truth, there is no changing in what he said and the consequence. And therefore, what Adam did, then the consequence of what Adam did had to be upheld, and that is, the death of Adam. Sin is real. If God tossed out Adam's sin, it would mean that, number one, sin is not real. Or, two, is not important. So which one is it? Sin is real. When Adam broke God's law, it was a real breakage of God's honor. Because God says, you shall not And here he comes and said, let's just see if God is someone who upholds his word. And when Adam broke God's law, it's unlike when you, when your parents tell you to do something and you disregard them, there are no consequences. And you might have grown up thinking God is like that, but God isn't like that. God is not like what we used to. God's not like us. So when... Adam's sin, his breaking the law was real to God. It was not something God could just disregard. And number two, the truth is real. Truth is important. You cannot disregard the truth. God cannot turn a blind eye from sinners who violate His law. Because what happens when you violate God's law is that you not only disregard His word, but God is the word. So you disregarding God you violated his honor. Now, is he sad because you violated his honor? No. God is impassable. When we talk about the Creator God, God the Father, he is impassable, meaning he does not feel the way that we feel. You cannot make him angry or sad. All these things are analogies or metaphors about God so that we can know all reaction to God, but God is impassable. Jesus Christ is, is different. He took on the flesh, and therefore he has human attributes. But God is impassable. He's not angry because you upset him because you violate his law. It's just a matter of justice. His honor was violated, and therefore there has to be a recompense of that honor, the restoration of that, that honor. So sin is not an abstract concept. Sin is real, a violation of God's sovereignty. And when you sin, what you do is you dishonor God. That's what happened when you sin. When you dishonor God, the only way for you to restore that honor is to make satisfaction. But here's the problem. God is eternal, meaning he's infinite. Now, let's take for example, when you dishonor your friend, is it the same as when you dishonor a king? Your friend has certain social status. And you can repay your friend's honor by apologize. And if, for example, you stole some money, you repay the money. But if you dishonor the king, how are you going to restore his honor? Most likely, you get executed. That's the only way to restore his honor. Now, think about the king of heaven. When you sin, you dishonor God who is infinite. How can you restore an infinite God's honor? And therefore, there has to be a new concept created for you and me. And that concept is eternal punishment, eternal death. Because you violated an eternal God, and therefore the punishment for that dishonoring is eternal death. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty visiting iniquity of the Father upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Clearly, the differences between God's truth and His mercy are real. Now we have a problem. God is merciful, but God is also the truth. How do you reconcile these differences? When we sinners violate God's law, we transgress against God, meaning we dishonor Him. His glory is violated, and justice is the restoration of God's truth. The only way to restore God's honor or God's truth is the punishment of the sinner. Because there's nothing that you can do to repay God's honor. Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. So God is the truth. God is just, but God's also merciful. And let's look at this side of God. We can talk about God at this moment because God is merciful. Otherwise, I won't be standing here talking about God because I would be already punished. But because God is merciful, we sit here today, have the church because of his mercy. Peter talks about the patient of God not willing that any should perish, but then come to repentance. There is the aspect of God that's merciful, and that's why we are here. That's why it is called the good news. But God's also justice. The mercy of God is the hallmark of God's grace to us. Though sin against God is grievous and eternal, God is infinitely merciful. Because he's infinite, because he's eternal, his mercy is also eternal. And that's why we haven't died yet. Mercy is infinite, but it's not unending. The essence of mercy of God is infinite, meaning He is infinitely merciful. But there is an end date to His mercy because, well, we have seen there's God's truth. So mercy, infinite, truth, also infinite. But there is a time where those two things come to meet. If God's mercy is infinite, then why can't He defer or sin forever. Why can't he just hold out and not punish Adam forever? Not finishing things is a bad thing. It's not biblical. And yet, we have built our families and society around, let's start a lot of things but never end anything. God is not like that. Something that begun has the end. Let's say I sin. The punishment for me sinning is I get hanged violated the king and so my punishment is hanging. Now the king set up a hanging platform. There's a news, there's a platform sitting there. But the king said, you know what? I won't punish you yet. I'll just punish you in the future. Every day I walk by, I see the platform, I see the news there waiting for me. Even though the king has not punished me yet, I'm still looking at that thing all my life. It's there. I can forget about it, but every time I walk through the square, there's the platform that's going to hang me. Can I live like that? You think you have peace living like that? And yet, in our lives today, we open many things and we leave them open. If there's a beginning, there has to be an end. God has no beginning, so He has no end. But if there is some beginning, there has to be some end. If God suspends justice forever, and not punish the sinner, then he would violate his truth because truth would never get to be reconciled. So he can't do that. The infinite mercy of God covers our infinite transgression. That's what the infinite mercy does until the time has appointed for the truth and mercy to meet. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. There's a path. The path of mercy is, at the end, is repentance. So I'm looking at that platform with the news waiting for me. I got to think, wait a minute, why has the king not punished me yet? Could he just forgot? No, he can't forget. He got all these people around him, telling him, reminding him, hey, remember that guy, you still need to hang him. He must not forget. So why has he not punished me yet? Why am I not dead yet? I just need to figure it out. I can't just walk every day looking at that punishment, waiting for me, and not know. It's just not me. So I need to know. And how do I know? I come. Oh king, can I have an audience with you? Why have you not punished me yet? Is there anything that I can do to make this hanging platform and this news to go away? That is called repentance. When you come to God and you say, God, I can't have this death hanging over me. What should I do? What can I do? How can I make amends? How can I repay the debt that I, have, I made against you? That is called repentance. And then God's answer is the meeting of mercy and truth. The place where mercy and truth meet is the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. That's where truth and mercy meets. First Peter chapter 1 verse 19 to 21, but with the precious blood of Christ as the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last time for you who by him do believe in God. Truth and mercy comes together and meet in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is not God's answer to the problem of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world as a way for God to have a relationship with you. God is not reactionary. Because Adam sinned, then God has to devise a plan to save him. That's not who God is. If that's who God is, then he's not omniscient. If God is omniscient, then he has already knew that Adam would sin. If he knew that Adam would sin and then respond to Adam, then God is now acting as a response to man. And God doesn't act in response to man. God is the mover. He is not the reactor. God's truth and mercy was foreordained before Adam. Let me give you a term for that. It is called superlapsarian. That God ordained that Jesus Christ would become this meeting place between mercy and truth before he created Adam. We think God is just like our parents. We do something wrong, God answered. God is not like that. He knew beforehand, he designed Adam to sin. What? No, he designed Adam to sin. This is a very different concept than what we're used to. He designed Adam so that Adam would sin. Why would God do that? Let me give you an answer to that. It's not hard to understand this. God designed Adam to sin because Adam is a shadow of the real thing. Adam was not what God's intention is. Adam points to the real reason why God created us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it was and has been Jesus Christ since the beginning. It was not that Jesus Christ was a response to Adam. Jesus Christ was God's design, and Adam was the shadow of God's perfect design. Adam walked with God but never had a relationship with God. But you and I today, through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship through Jesus Christ. And Hebrews say, it is a better covenant. Now, Let's look at that better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now hath he ordained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. The purpose of God is to have a relationship with you. He wants to reveal himself to you. But wasn't that what happened with Adam in the Garden of Eden? It was, but Adam, could not perceive God. Adam sinned, remember? See, he could not have a more perfect relationship with God because he couldn't. The flesh is weak, and God knew. God designed it that way so that there is a second Adam who was perfect, who is perfect, and through him we can have perfect union with God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a response to our sin. He was God's original design, that we, through him, might have eternity with God. That's God's design. God is not restoring something that is broken. No, no. God is not restoring something that's broken. If it was so, then God is not omnipotent, correct? If God is omnipotent, then everything he does is perfect. So, Adam broke God's law, then he's not omnipotent. It violates the attribute of God, and therefore, we know that new covenant in Jesus Christ, which is called the covenant of grace, whereas the covenant with Adam was the covenant of work, which is broken, it can be broken. But the covenant of grace cannot be broken because he made that covenant not with man, but with himself. Jesus Christ was God, Jesus Christ incarnate as man, but he made that covenant of grace in Christ, meaning you don't have to live like you would with Adam, walk by that tree and try not to eat it, But in Jesus Christ through faith, you are now pleasing to God. You are now imputed righteousness through Jesus Christ. The covenant of grace is much better than the covenant of works. It's not that God made the covenant of grace in response to the covenant of works. No, no. What he did was he showed you the covenant of work, and he said that is the shadow of the covenant of grace that is to come. See, God designed and always has been was centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not restoring you to the Garden of Eden. That's not what he's planning to do. What is he planning to do? John said, I saw in heaven coming down a new city of God, a new city of God, new heaven and new earth. That is God's design. It is not to bring you back to some place called Eden. No, no, that's not what God's plan is. It has never been. God's plan has been for you and I to be with the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ in the heavenly kingdom forever. That's God's design. So now, you realize God didn't make a mistake. It has always been God's plan. The meeting place, when Jesus Christ took on flesh and became man, in him was where mukti and truth meet. You see, we can't reconcile these two things. We human can't. But Jesus Christ could. How? First of all, when you dishonor God, you dishonor an infinite God. But we are finite beings, so we cannot repay the infinite dishonor that we made God. How can a finite being violate an infinite God? You have a glass of water, pure, clear water. You take a drop of poison and you drop it into the cup of water. Now, the volume of water is much more than a drop of poison. Would you drink it? Put it the other way. You have a glass of poison. And you take one drop of water and you drop it into the glass of poison. Is it now good? It's not a hard concept to understand. You can violate God's infinite being, But you cannot pay the infinite God because you're not an infinite being. So, how is this reconciled? It's actually pretty simple. It's brilliant. Remember when we talk about the attributes of the person of Jesus Christ. He, as opposed to the Trinity of God, one essence, three persons. The person of Jesus Christ, one person, two essences: Human essence and divine essence. So in Jesus Christ, two essences. The divine essence, which is God, Jesus was the Word of God, or Jesus Christ was the Word of God, and we refer to that as the Son of God. And then Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. So the two persons, or the two essence in the person of Jesus Christ. As the Son of God, He is infinite. And therefore, when He repay God, or when He restore God's honor through His death on the cross, He repaid an infinite God because Jesus Christ was infinite. God did not owe Himself anything. Human owed God an infinite debt. So when the Son of Man became flesh, He became human, and as the son of man, he owed God a debt. And therefore, he can't pay that debt because he is also the son of God, which pays the debt for humanity. It's brilliant. That is where mercy and truth meet. So how does it work? Jesus Christ for me. Number one, he satisfies God's justice. How did he do this? Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus Christ had no sin. It is your and my sin that caused him to be afflicted. He satisfied God's justice by dying on the cross. Let's say someone dishonor you. You can forgive that person, but that person has to go out there and say, hey, this person is a good person, I lied. Everything's, everything is good. Now, let's say the problem that you violate the king, and you go out there and you say, I lied. You see, you cannot repay the king's honor because the king's honor was more than your honor. He's more value than you, and therefore you cannot repay. Whatever you say cannot make that the, the king's honor restored to him. So what he has to do now is he has to kill you. He has to hang you. Let's say, instead of hanging you, someone else take your place for that hanging. Now, you don't have to die. But then, your sin against the king is now restored. And that person that the king hanged has to have the same quality or the same essence as the king to restore his honor. And therefore, he has to hang himself. Because there's no one who can match the king's word except someone who has the same essence. And in this case, he has a hang his son because of the same royal stature as the king. Right. We dishonor God and God himself took our sin on that cross and paid that debt for us. And now God is satisfied, meaning the honor of God is now repaid. Eternal debt that we owe to God is paid by the eternal Son of God. Okay, so that's how Jesus Christ paid for our debt. The two consequences of our disobedience. One, punishment is the morally adequate response to sin that will restore God's honor. The only way for you and I as human to restore God's honor is that we, we endure eternal punishment. And Jesus Christ endured eternal punishment for us because he is eternal. We are not eternal. And so God has to make an eternal punishment for us, but because Jesus Christ is eternal, he already paid that debt to God for us. Because God is eternal, and therefore his judgment is infinite. Jesus Christ was infinite, and therefore he was able to pay that debt for us and reconcile us to God infinitely. So there is also the other side of that as well. Christ obedient honors God. All disobedient dishonor God. Christ's obedience honors God. The second person in the Trinity took on flesh and became human so that in Christ he satisfied for us what humanly impossible. He obeyed the law of God perfectly from beginning of time until the end for you and I. How do we inherit that? We believe that he did this for us. That's how we inherit it. Another question that's being asked is how is Jesus Christ sufficient to repay God's honour? The the reparation of God's honor has to be equal or more than God's honor. This is how Jesus Christ repays God's honor, or how Jesus Christ satisfies God's honor. When we crucified Jesus Christ, he had no sin. Every human life, when violated, has to pay for human life. This this is the metaphysic that you are studying, okay? A life for life. When you violate some life or you keep life, you have to repay with your life. Every life in the world has been accounted for, except for one. Every human life has sinned, and therefore every human life has to die, except for one. When every human being in this life or ever existed, every will existed, dies, then it satisfies God's dishonor because God is violated by our sin. Now, when Jesus Christ died for us, he made satisfaction to God for every human being. How can you do this? Because your sin was imputed to you by Adam. And through Christ, the second Adam, he took the sin away. However, there is one additional thing that makes the satisfaction complete. And that is, one innocent life was crucified. Now, here's an extra life, a holy life. He did not die for his own sin, but yet he died. And now, every human life is accounted for except for one. And because the Son of God had no sin and he was executed, that extra life is now overcompensate the satisfaction of God. In whom I am well pleased. It is an incredible concept to think about. It's the truth that just takes you to a different level when you can understand this concept. Jesus Christ's death more than sufficient to pay for our debts for all eternity because he was an eternal God. As a son of God, Christ repaid the eternal honor that's owed to God. Christ sets us free from eternal condemnation because he took our place and now we inherit his righteousness, Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for you and I, for me. Christ became the head of the church and we who are baptized into Christ, and that's why it is important for all of us to be baptized into Christ, we who are baptized into Christ, his body inherit this covenant of grace. So those of you who have not baptized, you're not part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. His head was crucified so that the body is now free from condemnation. Christ died for me. He loves me. Mercy and grace is what we receive. First Thessalonians 5.9 for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Since the beginning, God had ordained for us to receive mercy in Christ and not wrath in Adam. That was God's original plan. Always been to reveal His Son, and then through His Son, we would have a eternal relationship with the Father. Mercy, not sacrifice. Hosea 6, 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God is more than burnt offerings. Jesus Christ was the Word of God. He was God and He was God's will and God's desire mercy, not sacrifice. He desired for you and I to come to this very knowledge that you're learning today. That's what God's design is. God designed for you to know Him, to know the value of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He died for us and what that means for you eternally. God longs to have a relationship with us as a father and as His children. God's will was made possible only through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became God's sacrifice for us, and in return, we receive God's forgiveness and mercy. That's how we receive God's mercy. God, Jesus Christ took the justice of God, took the blame, took the satisfaction that's required, so that now, through Christ, we can receive God's mercy without any of the punishment. The covenant of grace means just that. Through Christ, grace given to us so that we can have peace with God, and through this new covenant, we can now come to know God in a way that was not possible without Jesus Christ. So through Christ, this covenant of grace, we can now have a relationship, a true eternal relationship with God. In death, the truth is revealed. Anything can be hidden, but when you die, the truth comes out. That's what death does. Death reveals the truth. In death, the truth is revealed. The death of Christ revealed the full breath of God's love for us. It was our voices that cried, Crucify him!" we put him on the tree. But instead of being angry with us, instead of being upset with us, we would never know. Jesus Christ would have been crucified, and on that tree, on that cross, he's really angry with all the people who crucified him. He could say, Father, let's just not forgive them. Most human beings would do that. When someone hurt you, you want them to be punished, and that's justice, and that's right. But Jesus Christ, he took the blame for us. All he has for us, toward us, is mercy and love. And in his death, that's what he proved. What shall separate you and me from the love of Christ? Is it our school? Is it our laziness? Is it because we're too complacent? Is it because of money? What is it? What is it? What will separate you from the love of Christ? So like tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The Apostle Paul said, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That is the power of love. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But what shall separate you from Christ? A our so our selfishness, our laziness, or complacency. Those things that will separate us from the love of Christ. Why are you not here? Why do you not care? It is not better to be feared than to be loved. It is better to be loved. Try to do this with your children, you see. They're afraid of you now. Until such time, they will no longer be afraid of you. Jesus Christ is the one to establish his kingdom of fear. He doesn't want you to be afraid of hell so that you have to submit to him so that you can escape from hell. That's not what he wants. He wants you to love him. He doesn't want to force you to love him. He wants you to come to the knowledge of that love yourself. So if anyone says, you got to show me your love, and I say, if you haven't seen already, you should go." Love, love, love is not conditioned. Love is not force. Love, it has to be free. It sets you free. And that's the kingdom of God. And when Jesus Christ returned in his kingdom, all those people who are in the kingdom of God, and I hope every one of us here will be in the kingdom of God, is there willingly. And we are there because of our love for Christ and not our fear of condemnation and hell and destruction. The kingdom of Christ is righteousness, peace, and joy, not fear and trembling. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The death of Jesus Christ proved that his love was much more powerful than anything else that we experience. And you and I, we are called into relationships today. Measure your relationship by this love, or by this relationship. Are you only holding on because you're afraid that your children is going to be without mother if you get divorced? Are you afraid that you break your terror, your family apart, and so you stay together? Is it driven by fear? Are you holding on to some relationship because you're afraid that if you let this person go, that you're not going to find anybody who's better? Is it that? Is that the motivation? All the songs talk about that, right? All the things that we read, everything that we hear, everything that we come to understand is built around this fear. I'm afraid. And therefore, I have to hold on. I have to do all these things. But they're not love. For a righteous man, one dare to die. But who would die for someone that they hate or who hates them? But there's one, the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a sinner, he died for me, unconditionally. And that is what caused me to come to Him. That's what caused me to be here today. That love, not because of fear. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Show us, Lord, in a way that is beyond our ability to understand and formulate with words, even with poetry and songs. Beyond all these things, show us. Show us your love, that infinite, that pure, undefiled love, that unconditional love that set us free and say, you can love anyone, and you can be anywhere, you can do anything. But if the love of Christ is sufficient, draw us, Lord, away from those things that we hold on to in this life. And we know at the end of it is emptiness and sadness and brokenheartedness. Draw us, Lord, to that love, that eternal union with you, where we can truly see the love of God, expressed fully in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me. For me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.